Welcome into another episode of Mid-Michigan Matters. This podcast is designed to go behind the scenes at what our local nonprofit organizations are doing in our community. And now, here's your host, Chris Spockman. Chris Spockman with you on another Mid-Michigan Matters, talking with the Chippewa Watershed Conservancy here today. Mike LaValle has joined me, and Alexis, well, she's taking care of her, her youngster probably still, right, Dave? Um, Mike, pardon me. That's okay. Actually, Alexis, um, she had today off, but uh, she's not going to be with the organization much longer. She's taking on a new role here in Isabella County. All right, so she's she's moving on. Well, I don't want to say bigger and brighter things, but it sounds like you're you're pretty okay with her moving on to. She's actually moving on to be the executive, or excuse me, the um, director for uh, Isabella County Parks and Recreation. Oh, well, hey, I, so, I feel like a little, little announcement there. That That's kind of cool. Congratulations to her. And it sounds like another Mid-Michigan Matters podcast may be introducing her as that uh, new coordinator or whatever. That is pretty darn awesome. But the Chippewa Watershed Conservancy, go. You, you know what I mean? Tell people about what if somebody's been living underneath a rock, they don't know anything about it. Just tell people who you guys are, what you guys do. Sure. So we're a... Uh Local nonprofit, we um, are what's known as a land trust. Land trusts protect land and, and water and wildlife through a couple different methods. We own properties. We actually have 25 nature preserves that are open to the public. Um, they're in four counties that we serve. We're here in Isabella, but we're also in Gratiot, Macosta, and Montcalm counties. And then we also protect private lands through uh, legal agreements that are known as conservation easements. And that's a voluntary agreement between our organization and a landowner where they essentially assign some of the development rights over to our organization. Um, We actually protect more land through conservation easements than we do through ownership. We have roughly 40 conservation easements and it's 4,700 acres of protected land in five counties. Our, our biggest uh, conservation easement's up in Clare County. So even though we don't own land in Clare County currently, we, we protect an awful lot of land in Clare County as well. Um, so those properties are not open to the public. You know, they're, they're privately held. And even if the conservation easement property changes hands, those legal protections stay with it. So they're, they're permanently protected, just like the lands that we own, just a little bit different method of doing so. Um, the lands that we own, they're all open to the public, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. So you can go visit any one of our nature preserves at any time. There's never a cost to do so. You know, We hope that you are going out enjoying these properties. And if you're doing so, that you'll choose to support us. We are a nonprofit, obviously, and we rely on donations and memberships from the local communities, support from local businesses, and grants from foundations to, you know, provide for our operating funds. And now, I really like that you brought up the easements, and we'll have to come back to that a little bit more because that's one of those things I'm thinking you just got to donate. No, that's not necessarily the case. There's so much more that goes into that. And, yeah, the area you protected, you know, right right here in our area, and one of those things that we're – we're fortunate that we're pretty rural here in mid-Michigan no matter what. Every time we drive somewhere, we get to see trees, we get to see nature. But for people who grow up in other places and, and come up here, that's not always the case. You know, if you grow up in the city, sometimes you've never seen a big forest until you actually head out of the city. And when you live in a big city, there's not a lot of need to, to head out, you know what I mean, and travel the distances that we do to, to go to schools, to go to different things like that. And so I think it's really important to protect what we have to make sure – 
it never becomes that. You know what I mean? I feel like that's where you guys really step in. And I was, you know, wildlife habitat protection, scenic beauty, recreational opportunities, community sustainability, and water and air quality protection. Water quality's been in the news, you know, ever since Flint. I feel like that's something that's always going to be forefront in our minds now here because that's just, you know, an hour away and how, you know, impacted that community was. But the air quality, right now, you know, the smoke comes rolling through because of the wildfires in other places, and that that's another terrible thing. That's you know, a conversation for another day. But I, I'm going to ask you a dumb question here. But is the reason why the smoke is sticking around in the cities because there's no trees and stuff to, to sap it up, or does it have to do with the winds? You know, you know, like I said, kind of a weird question, kind of a newer question as well. Yeah, it's it's a combination of factors. I mean, if you think about just the, the sheer acreage of wildfires in Canada and, and the wind patterns that are pushing them south to us, I mean, the, tr- the trees and other plants are going to clean some of that out of the air. But then it also has to do with, are we experiencing high pressure, which is pushing that smoke down? Are we experiencing low pressure, which is allowing it to rise up? So, I mean, it's atmospheric things. There's a yeah. lot more factors yeah, that go into all... it than anybody would even think about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you and, know. I, and thank you for, like you said, being able to educate me and educate people on this because it's one of the, you know, I come out yesterday morning, the morning before that, and I look at the cornfield across the way here out on Wing Road, and it looks like fog, but I know it's it's not fog sitting there, and then it's gone the next day, and I wonder in my mind, well, I know the way things work, carbon dioxide and all that. You know, I know the corn ate up some of that, you know what I mean, and then the wind has a factor to do with it, but... That helps us out a lot right now, having all the trees around us. That's why, I mean, our air quality alerts have gone up, but we never have that before. And if you're in a city right now, it's really bad, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, when you consider that uh, the city of Chicago had the worst air quality in the world one day this week, and Grand Rapids was, you know, the same situation. So we're, we're a little bit better out here in the country because we're not contributing as much to the the air quality problems, you know, in general, you know, we have the highways and, you know, we have traffic and we have, you know, some industry, but it's not as bad as in the city. So we have a little bit of an advantage there, but yeah, it's, it's been rough. I mean, you go outside and it smells like smoke and it's like you're living in a campfire sometimes. Yeah. And I, I like how you brought it up that, you know, like I said, it's, it's the sheer acreage. We got a lot of woods here in Michigan. Canada's got way more than we do. And, you know, hopefully they can contain, you know, get that yeah. stuff taken care of. And uh, water quality. Let, let's go back to that because that's such a big deal. And that's that's one of the big things that you guys are about. And so if somebody's got one of those easements, they have a stream running through, that's that's a place you're now going to be able to go test stuff. You know, I mean, that does that play a big factor? Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of our, our major deciding factors when we decide to take on a project, whether it's an easement or a preserve, is is the fact there is standing water on the property, is there running water on the property. You know, we want to protect the, the land along the riparian or the river corridors. You know, that's going to prevent runoff. It's going to prevent pollution. So all those plants and stuff that are along the waterways they're filtering things that are going in so you know we we're named the chippewa watershed conservancy but we're ag- we actually have properties in three of the major watersheds in the state so the chippewa which obviously eventually flows into the titabawasi and the saginaw and out into saginaw bay but we also have properties that are in the muskegon watershed and some that are in the grand watershed all right so you know 
everybody talks about like Great Lakes water quality, but it's these headwater areas that can have such a major impact on things. And, you know, we're in those headwaters areas for three major watersheds. So we, we can have an outsized impact, you know, if something bad happens in this area or if something good happens in this area. It can impact, you know, population centers way downstream from us. And now you just my parents and my brother, they both live right on the Tobacco River in Clare. And you might, where does the Tobacco River flow into? Just to, you got me, you got me going with a curious question here. So that one. And, and if you don't know. Yeah, like so said, that's yeah. not, that's not in the Chippewa watershed. That is um, in the, I believe it's in the Tittabawassee. All right. All right. So it, do, it does flow east out of uh, Clare all right. and, and flows toward the Tittabawassee. And that's the thing right there. All of this stuff is connected, yeah. and so it's so important to protect it all, to continuously check it out. You know, you're you're the doctor of water quality in our area, aren't you? Is that is that a, a cheesy, funny way to put it? You know, there's there's a lot of us focusing on water quality. The the health department does a lot. The uh, Saginaw Chippewa Indian Tribe does a lot of monitoring of water quality. Um, CMU does a lot of monitoring of water quality. So, you know, there, it's, a, it's a big effort to, you know, keep track of the water quality. And then you think about, you know, the properties that we own, the properties that the county parks own, the, the properties that the city, park own, city parks own. So, you know, there's a lot of protected land along the Chippewa River, which is really fortunate to have. You know, we, we don't have all that development on the river in this part of the watershed. You know, if we flow downstream in the watershed to the Titabawassee to the Saginaw, there's been a lot of development river frontage, not so much through here. And, so. and that's where a lot of problems arise. And I think we could use, you know, what happened down in the Pine River as a perfect example of that. You get a plant that's near it and sometimes they, it might be accidental too. You, you know what I mean? I'm yeah. not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but when you're right there next to the waterway and things could seep, things could do this, it's just, makes it more dangerous. Like I said, the fact that the the chip is able to still be the chip, I think that's a, a pretty special thing. And yeah. I always like to give credit to the tribe. They do so much for our area with the 2% funding and all of that. And you talked about them doing what? They don't have to do water quality testing. There's other people to do it, but they choose to do it because they want to care for their community. Yeah, absolutely. And and we work really closely with their environmental team. You know, we're our, the CWC, the environmental team, a lot of organizations, we're in a larger group, the Chippewa River Watershed Alliance, which you know has been publishing this information about water quality and putting out ways that people can impact water quality in, in the local community. So, you know, it's, it's not just something that, oh, somebody else can do. You know, you as a homeowner, as a landowner, you know, you as a renter can influence your landlord. There, there's a lot of, you know, individual things that we can do to make sure that our rivers stay clean. And, you know, we don't want the pollution. We want to be able to enjoy the rivers. You know, if it gets to a point where we can't walk into the river because of pollution or float down it in a tube or canoe in it or catch a fish in it, that that's a huge problem. We're not at that point, but there's, you know, it's very easy to slip into that. And there's been times and places where some parts of the river, you know, get to that point yeah. and, that's where it's you know difficult to find out where it is to stem the flow you know what I mean and to make right. sure all that's like I said I, it's all connected all the water that we drink and everything like that from the rain to the rivers to like I said the, everybody thinks about the Great Lakes water quality but 
Well, the Great Lakes were filled up by the water coming from, you know, the Titabawassee, the Saginaw River, the Grand River and all that. And now to get a little bit more into the, the, the places you got, and I feel like, you know, Bundy Hill, you know, is I think is the one highest point in Isabella County. That's yep. the one that everybody talks about. But there's also Sylvan Solis out there. I mean, the Stearns, the Starks, the Shaftenar. Scaffner. Scaffner. All right. All right. Preserve. Neely Preserve. Cabana Preserve. And that one's actually 100 acres over at Halls Lake. And I've been out on Halls Lake a few times. That's that's a beautiful area over there. And I've never even thought about the walking trails. How nice is that one? Yeah. So we actually have uh, four preserves on Halls Lake. All right. So the, the Cabana, Neely, and, and Scaffner are all connected. Um, the, to collectively, refer, we refer to those as Halls Lake Natural Area. And we have roughly 155 acres there and it's protecting the entire east side of halls lake um, we have a small preserve on the west side fox run preserve but that that east side halls lake natural area is definitely one of our jewels and it's also surprisingly you know unutilized uh, if anybody goes out onto halls lake you get out there middle of july into august it's so warm too it is a great yeah. time out there yeah, the, the, the lake is great, but, you know, like you said, take the opportunity yeah, to go check it. out the hiking trails. And, and that's just, I'm going to throw myself under the bus a little bit. I didn't even know the trail, because you, when you're on the lake and you're looking over there, it might seem like it's a little bit swampy, but you tell me there was a bunch of trails over there I need to go check out. And the animals that you're then going to see, because you're right next to the lake, it's going to be pretty cool, pretty special. Right. So, you know, we, we know that uh, we get beaver out on Halls Lake occasionally. We get otter out there. Um, the preserve we get bobcat i i've yet to see a bobcat on the property i want to though don't I, you? I do i've missed them by 10 minutes i've gone out and checked a trail camera and 10 minutes before i pulled the card there was a bobcat sitting in front of it oh man and you know we know that there's been a male and a female the females had kittens in the past um we actually got some video on our youtube channel of the female, she dropped off her kittens right in front of one of our cameras, and they were there for like three hours. So we have like a seven-minute video compilation from little clips, you know, where they were just playing. They, it was winter. They were fully grown, but mom hadn't chased them away yet. So they're, they're running around, you know, they're they're wrestling. Um, they're chasing mice. They're, I think there was a muskrat that came up under the ice because it was right along the lake shore, and one of them was pawing at it like cats do. I, that, that's one of the things I want to see. I'm going to put a link to your website that'll you know sure. send people to the Facebook page if they want to go check that out. And you guys have the preserves that are on bodies of water that don't have trails, and just big preserves for wildlife that don't have trails as well. And the thing I want to get back to talk to is the, you know the easement stuff. How do people? Because I was thinking to myself, well, you donate your property, and now I'm going to throw my mom, dad, and my brother under the bus here. They they're right in Claire, but they're on the Tobacco River. If they want to, you know one acre easement you know what i mean with giving you guys you know outside the fencing area that they've got down to the river is is that something you guys would do i said i'm putting you in a, a weird spot here uh, well typically we're, we're looking at a we, we want to look at a little bit larger properties yeah. for easements um now that doesn't mean that we would not take a small property under five acres it, it's going to depend on the situation you know, is it protecting like a spring that's a headwaters is it protecting a wetland that's a headwaters um, we're, we're typically looking at 40 acres and above for easement. And, and the first step, if somebody's interested in easement, is give us a call. 
or send us an email, get a hold of us and say, Hey, we're, we're thinking about an easement on our property. Um, I'll give you a call back. I'll answer an email and, and we'll talk about, you know, what, what is the property? First of all, where is it? Is it in our service area? Cause we get calls from people that are outside of our service area occasionally, and we'll redirect them to the appropriate land conservancy. Um, and then, you know, after a conversation, we're going to send typically a questionnaire that is asking you what is special about this land? You know, what's on it? What do you want to protect? What do you want to see happen? What do you not want to see happen? You know, if you have a 160 acres and you don't want it subdivided, well, that's something we can write into an easement so that it'll stay as a 160-acre block throughout the future. Um, if it's woods and you don't want it logged, or maybe you do want to see it logged but done in a sustainable manner, you know, that you're trying to regenerate woods, it's poplar, and you regenerate those by clear-cutting them. You know, so we can write an easement that allows for all of those different things. Um, so that that's our first step. After we do go through that, then the next step is we're actually going to come out and do a site evaluation on the property. So any easement that we're considering, will myself and one of our board members or committee members will come out and walk over the property and we're going to look at everything and we're going to write up an evaluation whether we think that property is worth protecting through a conservation easement. Now, there, there are some potential tax benefits from a conservation easement. So, you know, th- that might mean a possibility of a reduction in property taxes because you are giving up some of the value of the property when you place an easement on it. You know, it can't be developed. It can't be subdivided. You can't build houses. You know, however it's written up, you're, you're reducing the value of the property somehow. So there's a potential of that sort of uh, reduction on your property taxes. And I, I'm going to give you some love here. Sure. You're reducing the commercial value Correct. of yes. said property. Yeah. But the thing, you know, the future value of it personally, though, and what you're doing for the world and the environment, that's going up. I, right. I, I just made, I had to make sure I pointed that out. Y- yeah. For, from a taxing standpoint, you're reducing the commercial value. You're reducing the, the, the value of the land from, you know, an, an environmental in impact environmental value you're increasing it and and if you're a family out there that's you know you have that land and you you know you worried someday the kids are gonna break it all up and sell it all up this kind of solves that problem doesn't it yeah absolutely and that's you know sometimes that's the um decision that people make they they don't want to see their family split it up or they know that eventually it's going to go out of the family but they don't want to see it split up they don't want to see those woods you know, cut down. They don't want to see that swamp drained. There's something that really sticks with them that is personal to them. You know, that that's why people sign a conservation easement. It isn't for the tax purposes. It's what is personal about that land to them. You know, th- now they also, you make a donation of the, of a conservation easement. You're, you should be able to have some sort of claim on that on your, on your federal taxes as well. You know, because you're donating that difference between the commercial value without an easement and the value with an easement. But that is usually a minor reason why somebody is signing an easement. They're they're doing it because it's important to them. And that's something that's, you know, a ways down the road when you get into it. But like I said, you kind of went through and pointed out a bunch of the different benefits uh, of doing so. And it's still their land. They can still access it, you know. And so if you... uh, 
big easement on the Chippewa River. You can still go fish off of your shore and all that stuff, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that you know, you still hunt on it. Um, you can still camp on it. You know, it, it depends on how the easement is written. You know, a lot of times the easements we include a, a the option to build within a certain space on the property. So maybe you have 200 acres of hunting property and you're thinking, I might want to retire there someday. There's no house there, but I want to place it under an easement so it's protected. You can write up, we can write up that easement so that we can put in like a five acre building envelope. And in the future, you decide exactly where you want that house to be. That portion right there. Now you can build on that portion. You're going to work with people however you can because the main thing you guys are trying to do is protect the land, protect the water, and protect our community. I mean, essentially is what it comes down to. Right. Big events, big programs you guys have coming up. You guys got anything going on this summer? And, well, obviously a ton going on this summer, but any big public events? Uh, So we're we're still working on, like, our August schedule. Um, I just added a couple new events. We have a a moth hunt coming up. So the the last week of July is National Moth Week. So, you know, those flying insects at night that we don't often see, don't often think about, a lot of them are just as colorful as butterflies, but we we don't see them. So we're actually going to go out to Halls Lake Natural Area the last Friday of the month. nine o'clock we're going to set up some uh, light colored sheets with some lights on them we're going to put out some bait and we're going to try to draw in all these moths and other nocturnal insects and and those are always a lot of fun Um, i love doing night events you know we 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 do a lot of our uh, full moon hikes during the winter time We, we don't do them so much during the summer because there's leaves on the trees you can't see out in the woods as well and there's mosquitoes you know yeah but uh We've also got um, a wildflower walk coming up at Peterson Natural Area in August. That's one of our preserves over in Macosta County. Um, it was an old farm that was donated to us, and it's absolutely gorgeous wild wildflower meadow right in the center of the property. Um, this property is one of those that's in the Muskegon watershed. It's on a creek that's literally two-thirds of a mile away from the Muskegon River. All right. You know, just a little cold water creek running through there. Through there, um, not only will we find lots of wildflowers, but if it's a nice day, we'll see lots of butterflies too. We've seen as many as twenty species of butterflies on that walk before. And that's another thing going out with you. When you see the cool moth, you know, not all of them, and you see the cool butterflies. But a lot of times, you're going to be able to say, "Yeah, that's a blankety blankety blank species." You know, you're going to know some of that stuff, and so the education is there not just, you know, because it's always cool to go out to nature and see it, but when you can have somebody describe it to you and tell you a little bit about it, that, and that's what you're going to bring to the table, isn't it? Right, yeah. So, you know, a lot of our hikes are educational in nature. Um, you know, I mentioned the the wildflowers and the moths. We've got some um, mushroom hikes coming up in the fall. Those aren't on the calendar yet, but they're, they're scheduled. I just haven't actually placed them on a yeah. calendar well, for the public. And, you, and you've kind of got to wait with the weather a little bit before you sure. can exactly plan these out. And so, yeah, the wildflower one, you kind of got to probably wait until the warm weather's here for a yep. couple of weeks and you can kind of know things. And same with the moss, you, you know what I mean? The warm weather's got to be here for a little bit before they start rolling out. And now I've got a really tough one for you here. What is your favorite preserve to go to? That is a tough one. Um so there, there's a couple, 
Um, I'm, I'm and if really, you got a secret one, you don't have to give it. I'll say it. <laughs> well, I have secret spots that I don't share. All right, all right. So, you know, if you go out on a hike with me and it's a small hike, occasionally I'll take people to some of those secret spots on preserves. There, there's a couple spots on Bundy Hill that I'm really partial to, you know, but they're off the beaten track and most people would never discover them. And that's why their favorite spots there. Um, I think my favorite property might actually be Quigley Creek natural area. All right. And that's one over in Macosta. That's over in Macosta County. Um, Quigley Creek is a trout stream and it's got native brook trout in it. I was over there a week or so ago, just walking along the stream and I probably observed at least a dozen brook trout in the stream. Now they're, they're little guys, you know, yep. they're, well, but it's probably, it's not a huge stream either. No, there, it's not. You know, I mean, you can't quite jump across it, but uh, it, it's pretty close Somebody to that. Somebody more athletic than us, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you could get a running start, but it's a little swampy along oh, there. Right. so Need a long um, jumper. Yeah. Um, but that also, that property, there's, you know, gorgeous hardwood forests on both sides of it. And there's a swamp running through the center of the property on one side of the creek, and we actually have found orchids in that swamp in the past as well. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm going to go over there in the next couple of weeks. I'm hoping I can find some of them again. We don't see them every year. You know, they're, they, they tend to be really ephemeral and, you know, if conditions aren't right, they're not there. So, but yeah, that that's probably my favorite property and it doesn't get utilized by very many people and it's one that has no trails but if people go to your guys website you can find all the places there are from the fox run preserve to the lake stephen preserve to the peterson natural area to the audubon woods preserve to bundy hill and you can access all of them you've got a map that shows where where all of them are at i believe and everything and if you want to know more about that property get a hold of you guys too You'll, you'll send them directions maybe tell them what to go check out or whatever tell them where those orchids might be because you want people to access these lands, but when people access them, you need to treat the land well, you know, pack it in, pack it out, as they say, go treat everything like, you know, like it's your own almost kind of thing, but even more so because it's Mother Earth, we need to take care of it, and that's why you guys have these preserves. Yeah, absolutely, you know, and we find that the vast majority of visitors are doing the right thing. You know, we we go walking down the trails and, and we find an occasional piece of trash. You know, something fell out of someone's pocket or, you know. Blew they, in from the, the road. Blew you never in know. from the road. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, the, the things like the cigarette butts at the top of Bundy Hill, that one gets to me a little bit. You know, you took the effort to climb to the top of Bundy Hill and you got up there and you smoked three cigarettes and threw the butts down. Nothing wrong with having the reward for getting to the sure. top, but pack it in, pack it out. And right. I always like to say I lived in uh, – Traverse City, whenever they clean out the Grand Traverse Bay every year, the number one thing they pull out is cigarette butts because cigarette butts don't go anywhere. Just like that styrofoam tray that we're trying not to use as much of those because they last forever. Cigarette butts are pretty much the same thing, aren't they? They are going to be there forever. They're not natural. And then even sometimes, too, with the smell that gets left on them from people, if an animal picks it up, that's not going to be good for that animal, is it? Yeah, I mean, the, just if you think about the nicotine that comes off it, and that that that's harmful to animals. So you know, a little squirrel goes and investigates it; they they can actually get nicotine poisoning. So I mean, people people can get nicotine poisoning. People that work in tobacco fields, they're exposed to it too much, and they, they'll get poisoned by it. Wow. 
So yeah, so let's take care of the squirrels and everything. Yeah, yeah take care know. of the squirrels yeah, and the birds up, pick, and the ants yeah. and everything else. Yeah, oh. pick pick up your cigarette butts. You, you know, some I got some of my buddies will like put them in their pocket, and then you know their wives laugh at them because their pants smell. But it's yep. you know, they always those are the guys. They're not. They there's no way they're going to leave one on the ground because they know what it can do to the earth, and it's not good. And kind of last thing here, if we have if we miss something, let me know. But if people want to reach out to you guys, how do they go about doing so? So one of the easiest things is find us on Facebook. You can leave a message. Just search, you know, Chippewa Watershed Conservancy. Um, you can email us, cwc at cwc-mi.org, or you can give us a call, 989-772-5777. So we might not be there when you call, but we'll definitely call you back. Yep. Mike, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. And thank you guys so much for what you're doing for our community. Like I said, I think you guys are one of those under-the-radar organizations sometimes that we need to continue to push you. I need to talk with you more because we need to kind of push you guys into people's faces because what you do for our community is air quality, water quality. It's something that may have been ignored 10, 15 years ago, but it's now at the forefront of everything because maybe we did ignore it for a little too long. We need to take care of the stuff we got, don't we? Absolutely. I'm very happy to come in and happy to do it again at any time. All right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mid-Michigan Matters. While you're here, feel free to browse earlier episodes or other podcast programs on our platform. Listen to what you will and spread the word. Thanks again for listening.